Okay, today's scripture reading comes from John chapter 13, verses 1 to 17. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. This is the word of God. I want to invite you to open up your Bibles, if you haven't, to the passage that Jimmy just read in John chapter 13. We're going to look through this narrative, and we're going to see what God has for us here with power, who decided, at least for a little while, to step down from their positions of power and to experience life like normal people just to see what it was like. Maybe you've seen a show like Undercover Boss, where uh, a CEO puts on an apron, for instance, and a, and a hairnet and, and steps behind the counter at the Cinnabon and serves customers for a week and mops floors just to see what it's like. Or maybe you've watched a, a movie, some of the older ones might remember this, a movie called Coming to America. Uh, 1988, can you believe this movie came out in 1988? And in that film, an African prince comes to Queens and he gets a job, not at McDonald's, but at McDowell's, the fake McDonald's. If McDonald's would have been a step down for a prince, he ends up working at a place that's even a step lower, at the fake McDonald's, and he mops floors and he flips burgers and he experiences life 
the life of normal people, the lives of those who aren't princes, who aren't CEOs, who don't have wealth and power and status. Well, New Hope, none of those stories even comes close to comparing to what we just read in John chapter 13. Because in this account, what we see is that during a dinner, Jesus Christ gets up, he removes some of his clothes, he puts on a towel, and he washes his disciples' nasty feet. And, and there's actually a twist here, too, because in all those other stories, when the powerful step away from their wealth and their status to live normally, they, they learn something about the real world. But in this true account, it's the opposite. It's the normal people. It's the disciples. It's us who learn something about reality. So let's look at this scene as John the historian records it for us. And, and, and what we see here is that Jesus, he's in Jerusalem. He's there along with millions of other Jews for the most important feast of the year. It's Thursday night. In fact, later that night, he'll be arrested. And in less than 24 hours, he'll be executed. But here, John tells us, he's having dinner. But he knows what's coming. He knows what's ahead, even on that weekend, because John says, in verse 1, he knows that his hour had come. He knew it. He knew that his death and his resurrection and his ascension were all around the corner. He knew it, and John says he loved them till the end. That is, it could either mean he, he continued loving his disciples right until the very end of his life, or it could mean he showed them on that night and in the days to come the full extent of his love. So let's look at the full extent of Jesus' love. It's, it's during supper. Dinner's not over yet. And we'll see that a little later when we come back to this story next week, we'll see that there's more eating. There's more, there's more food to eat. But, but everyone would have been laying on their sides at the table at this point, And dinner was at least had been served and they may have already been eating. They would have been laying on these mats on the floor next to a, a low table, propped up on one arm and eating with the other hand. And their legs and their feet would have been kind of fanning out away from the table. Jesus gets up and he starts undressing. He gets a towel, he, he wraps himself in it. He pours out some water and as he's doing all these things, they must have been wondering, what in the world is going on here? Maybe they even asked them, what, what are you doing? It's all so confusing because, because Jesus is the rabbi. He's, his, he's their teacher. But all of a sudden, when they look up at him, he is dressed like a slave. This is how slaves dressed. No outer garments, the, the towel around the waist, holding a basin. And then he kneels down at one of the disciples' feet. And by the way, rabbis in this period and in this culture did not perform acts of service for their disciples. It was the opposite. They got served by their disciples. But, but, it's, but what Jesus does here is more than just serving his disciples. What he's doing here is something that not even a disciple would do for his master or his teacher. 
People didn't just normally wash each other's feet. We might read this and think, oh, that was normal for that time. It would be weird today, though. No, it was weirder then. It was more shocking then. Because this is something that one would do for themselves. And if a servant is going to wash your feet, that servant had to be the lowest servant on the totem pole. Some people in this culture actually believe that you could not require a Jewish servant to do this. If you're going to have a slave wash your feet, it had to be a non-Jewish slave because this is too demeaning. It's too degrading. And that's the point. Because Jesus, the rabbi, the teacher, he is willing to degrade himself. And I mean that in the most literal sense. I mean that he was willing to lower his grade. His status. He was willing to operate below his pay grade. He was willing to step down. And he's saying, this is not too low for me. In Luke 22, verse 27, Jesus' disciples are arguing about who's the greatest among them. And Jesus tells them, I am among you as the one who serves. And the more we meditate on this scene in John 13, the more we will see who Jesus is as the servant. He is the servant. And as this servant begins to wash and wipe his disciples' feet, he comes to Simon Peter. And we don't know if Peter was first in line or if he had watched, watched, another, watched another couple of people get washed before him. We don't know. We can assume this. Everyone's confused. Everyone feels awkward, but Peter speaks up. You might expect this. He, he's, if he's thinking something, it usually comes out of his mouth, right? He usually lets it out. And so he asks, Lord, do you wash my feet? And the moment later in verse 8, he's going to say, you shall never wash my feet. Peter probably should have known not to say something like that. Because... He had told Jesus not to do things in the past, and it doesn't go well. If you look back at Mark 8, Jesus says, I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be handed over to the, to the Gentiles. I'm going to be killed, and I'm going to rise again from the dead in the third day. And Peter says, Peter takes him aside and rebukes him for saying that. Don't, don't, don't talk like that, Jesus. Don't say these things. And what does Jesus say to him? He says, get behind me, Satan. Peter should have known better than to tell Jesus, don't, no, 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 no. You will not wash my feet. Never but he can't help himself because the whole situation is so awkward. It's so embarrassing. It's so socially unacceptable. So he just blurts it out. And Jesus's response to him is so patient. What does he say in verse seven? What I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward, you will understand. He's saying you don't get it yet, but you will. So in order for us to get it, we're going to look at this account and we're going to see three facts that are revealed here. And these three facts should really help us to understand the scope of what's happening in this scene. Three facts about this servant. And the first one is this. This servant is the Lord. This servant is the Lord. It's strange enough for a rabbi to do what Jesus did here. But, but how about a king? How about the Son of God himself? 
Remember how the narrative begins. Verse 1, John tells us, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. We're told there he's not from this world. He came from the Father, and he's going to return to the Father. Verse 2, it says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God. What is John reminding us of here? John is reminding us of the identity of Jesus Christ. His true, the true identity of this servant. He is the son of the father. He's the second person of the Trinity. He was sent by God and he was going back to God. He is the Lord. And when we focus on that reality, we're going to see that this whole scene actually parallels another astounding passage. I, I want to invite you to open up to Philippians chapter 2. If you're using a, a physical Bible, keep that John 13, but just flip over to Philippians 2 or just click over to it in your device. And I, I want to read verses 6 and 7 of Philippians 2, where it says, it's speaking of Jesus Christ, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. You see, this is the reality that staggered John on that night. It's what captivated John, and, and it, not just about this scene, but about his rabbi. John wants us to see all things had been given into Jesus's hands, but yet he picks up this towel and this basin. He owns everything in the universe, but he washes feet. John is obsessed with these truths. He's obsessed with the identity of Jesus and the, the willingness of Jesus to condescend, the second, the, the second person of the Trinity to come down and live with us here to kneel down at our feet. He wants us to see it. He wants us to be amazed, to see the glory, the weight of glory in that. John keeps telling us throughout this book, I want you to see that this is the Son of God who condescended, who literally degraded himself, who put on human form to live as one of us and to serve us. At the very beginning of his gospel, in John 1, it's how he starts the book. He says in verse 14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, when Jesus got up from that mat, and he removed those garments, and he put on that towel, and he knelt at their feet, as he did that, he had already gotten up from his eternal throne where he had been robed in his full glory. He had put on a human body and he had knelt down to live with us, showing off the glory of his humility. It's why John wrote the book. It's why John wrote the Gospel of John. It's to communicate that very reality to us. He says at the end of his gospel, in John 20, he says, here's why I've written about all these signs that Jesus performed. And by the way, what kinds of signs did Jesus perform? They were serving signs. Every one of them was a serving sign. He 
produced wine to serve at that wedding in Cana in the early days of his ministry. He produced bread and fish, multiplied it to serve to hungry people. He served people by casting out demons. He served people by healing them physically and spiritually. All his signs were about serving. John says, why have I written these signs, these serving signs? They're written in verse 3 of John 20. He says, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. So it's how the Gospel of John begins, and it's how the Gospel of John ends. And right here in chapter 13, again, John wants us to see it. We cannot miss it. The servant is the Lord who stepped down from glory to serve us. Paul says it this way, again, in Philippians 2. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. And John says, yes, I saw that. I saw a microcosm of that, a a, a little picture of it that night when he washed our feet. When I saw Jesus standing there looking like a slave. And it wasn't a costume. He wasn't hiding his true identity with a servant's costume. No, it's who he was, the servant, and still Lord. And and among those feet that he would wash and wipe carefully that night, there were the feet of his traitor, the feet of the one who, in just a few hours, would sell him out. John wants us to see the glory of Christ here in his humble, condescending love and humility. He served us. Even Judas, he says. This servant is the Lord. That's the first thing we want to see here. Can't miss it. He is the Lord. But he's also something else. It says here, well, The second thing we want to see here is that this servant cleans what is filthy. He is the Lord, and he cleans what is filthy. Have you ever worn uh, flip-flops in the city on a hot summer day? And maybe you you commute into it. Maybe it's like dressed down Friday. So I don't know. Or maybe you're just in the city for whatever reason. Maybe you live there. You're just going in for the day. And you spend the day walking around the city. You're up and down subway steps walking up and down the streets, and you get home, and the flip-flops are filthy, and so are your feet. They're just like grimy, nasty. And you're like, man, those New York streets are pretty disgusting. Streets in Jerusalem were far worse. These are dirt roads we're talking about. Animals traveling up and down these roads. Mud accumulating. As if animals are traveling up and down, you can imagine the deposits that they're leaving all over the road, so you can imagine how nasty your feet would be in some open-toed sandals when you spend the day walking around Jerusalem. Jesus gets in there and he cleans completely. And again, this is, this is meant to turn our eyes to see a deeper spiritual reality about sin. Like filthy streets, Sin leaves us dirty. 
Not just our feet, no, no, no. It leaves us fully dirty. Your sin and mine, they leave us not just guilty, but grimy. The Bible word for this is defiled. Unclean or defiled. Isaiah 59 says this, it's God speaking. He says, your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. What's he saying there? Because you have committed sins, you've been separated from God. And the way we usually think about that is we are separated from God because of guilt. Sin has made us guilty. Or sin is like a debt that we owe and we, and it, we can't pay it off. Those are absolutely true. Those are other ways that the Bible talks about sin. But the Bible also talks about sin this way, as defiling, as leaving us filthy, because Isaiah 59 goes on to say in verse 3, for your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. You see, our problem with God is not just guilt. It's not just the debt. It's also our filthiness, our defilement because of our sin. And of course, it's not just our feet or our hands, like I said. It's our hearts. It's us. And we all need to be washed. That's why in Psalm 51, King David, when he finally realizes how awful his sin is, he finally starts to get honest with himself about his sin. He cries out to God and he says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. I wonder if if we are all ready to be honest about our own sin. Are we willing to be honest with ourselves about just how defiled our sins have left us. Because if we are willing to be honest about that, then we can come to terms with this as well. Jesus washes away filth. And how does he do it? Well, let's go back to that passage we were looking at earlier in Philippians chapter 2. If you kept a finger there, if you kept it open, go back to Philippians 2, and I want to read a little bit more of that passage to you. In verse 7, it says, He emptied himself, that is, Jesus did, by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming, listen, obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see, at the cross, Jesus didn't just pay our debt and remove our guilt. Praise God, he did that, but he did more. He washed us clean. And what Jesus did on that night when he washed his disciples' feet, he was acting out ahead of time what he would do on that cross. He was acting out. It was a drama of the gospel. But on the cross, Jesus didn't just remove his outer garments. No, he was stripped of his garments. And if if being on your knees scrubbing feet is low, Jesus would go lower. If washing feet was demeaning, then dying on a cross was unspeakably shameful. Jesus descended into the sewage of our sin. That's what it took for him to cleanse us of our sin. Paul says he became sin. He knew no sin, but he became sin descended into the depths of the dirt 
and grime of our failings and iniquities, all of our rebellion against God, all of our failings to live up to the standard of God. And as sure as on that Thursday night, he he poured out water into that basin, on Friday he poured out his blood. He emptied himself. We have to ask the question, New Hope. Each of us has to ask the question, have you experienced this cleansing? Have you been washed by Christ? If not, receive this washing. Receive it. He's offering it. This is, this is what Tim Keller said. Quote, Servant King, would you do this for me? That's how a Christian life begins, with those words. End quote. You see how the life of a Christian, and by a Christian, I don't just mean someone who adheres to a particular religion. I'm using that word to mean someone who has been washed by Christ. Guilt forgiven, debt paid, and yes, washed clean. It begins this way, by saying these simple words to him, servant king, would you do this for me? And he will. Don't refuse him. Don't refuse. Don't kick away the hands of the one who kneels down to wash your feet. Don't jump away or kick at him. Receive what he has for you. So many people are unwilling to be cleansed. We see it in the scriptures. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. So many people rejected him. Just like a little kid who has snots all over their nose and you try to clean their nose and they squirm away and they cry and they scream. They don't want you to clean their nose. It feels awkward. It feels uncomfortable. It hurts. Don't do it, dad. While you as a loving parent or a loving uncle or aunt says, that stuff needs to come off. It may be uncomfortable. It may be difficult, but you got to admit that you got snots all over your face and I'm going to clean it for you. Just hold still. Will you refuse the servant who is the Lord, who is able and willing to cleanse you from all your sin, to cleanse you from the sin that separates you from God? Peter refused it initially. What does he say in verse 8? He says, no, 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 don't do that. I'll do it myself. Jesus tells him in verse 8, if I do not wash you, you can have no part with me. You hear what he's saying? And remember, this is the one who said, I'm going back to the Father. Which means, if he does not wash you, unless Jesus washes you, you are separated from God the Father. You can have nothing to do with God unless he washes you. Look, there's four things that this tells us clearly. Sin has left you filthy. You don't have to stay that way. You can't scrub yourself clean, but he can. He can receive what he has for you. He offers it. He insists. 
If I do not wash you, you can have no part with me. Servant king, servant king, we have to ask, servant king, would you do this for me? And that's how the Christian life begins, because he will respond by cleansing you. You need to see the heart of Jesus here. It's not just humility, right? It's, it's love. He's showing us the full extent of his love. He started here and he's going to continue into Friday as he dies for his people. But he's already here showing us the full extent, the depths of his unfathomable love. And that's his heart, not just for them in that room. That's his heart for you now. Don't kick away, but receive, receive. And if you've believed, then you've been washed. You don't need to walk through life feeling dirty. You don't need to walk through life feeling ashamed. You have been cleaned. You ever wonder sometimes if if maybe you don't smell too good, maybe you've been to the gym or you worked out and you walk into a crowd, you go to the store, you walk around other people and you wonder, I don't know if I smell too good right now. Forget if you put on deodorant or something and you're like, I, I hope I don't smell bad. You don't need to walk through life worried. You have been cleansed if you have believed and received the washing that Christ has for you. You don't need to cover up your shame by, by, by trying to make yourself cleaner. It's been done already. It's finished. There's nothing left for you to do to make yourself cleaner. I remember last summer we were in Africa, in Namibia, at the, the Agape Youth Summer Camp, and these boys, these teenage boys, had been playing all day, and I guess they were, were, they were going into a worship service after having played all day in the hot sun, and I guess they were you know, worried that maybe they didn't smell too good. So someone must have had a can of some kind of body spray, Axe body spray or something, and all these boys just sprayed themselves down with it. You couldn't even go near them with a match. I think they would have all gone up in flames. They were doused in this stuff. And what were they doing? They were trying to cover up their stink with something they thought smelled better. It didn't actually smell better, though. It it may have been a step in the wrong direction. But with us, if you've been cleansed, sometimes perhaps you walk through life thinking, I need to do something to make myself look better, feel better, uh, to make myself cleaner. Your effort to adding nothing to what Jesus has done. You don't need to do it in the first place and your efforts to do it are not helping. No, you don't need to worry before God or others. He has cleansed you. Just like Irish Spring, you are fresh and clean as a whistle. That's my second 80s, my last 80s illustration or illusion. Last thing we want to see here. This servant creates and sends servants. So the servant is the Lord. The servant cleans what is filthy. And this servant creates and sends servants. Look at verse 12. It says there, When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example 
that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. See, the point is clear, isn't it? No messenger can think that he is exempt from doing the things that the one who sent him was willing to do. And no servant is exempt from doing the things that his master was willing to do. That is, no servant can say, that's beneath me, if the master was willing to do it. The last verse here is key. What does Jesus say? In verse 13, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Look, it's so easy to look at this and say, yes, this is such a great moral, such a great truth. We need to serve like Jesus. Amen. And then walk away and do nothing about this. Jesus knows that's our tendency. And so what he's telling us here, it echoes, really doesn't echo, it foreshadows what James, his little brother, would say later in the book of James, where he tells us to be not hearers, but hearers and doers of God's word. It's not enough for us to learn that Jesus is the Lord who serves and cleanses those who are filthy, and to simply learn that we should also be serving others. No, Jesus says, blessed are you if you do this. There's blessing in this. It doesn't mean reward. It doesn't mean that if you serve others, then God will serve you. If you serve others, then God will accept you. No, we're gonna, that's not what it means. But it does mean that as you serve others, there is great blessing in that. There is good in that. Not only are you obeying and following in the steps of your Savior and Lord, but you're also bringing into your life wonderful experiences. Today's Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day, moms. You know something about washing little feet and lots of other body parts, often without any recognition, because babies don't usually thank you for washing their feet or for changing diapers. And, and as you did that, as you washed, and as you do that now, you are, it's, it's a picture of what Jesus calls us to here. Maybe, maybe you've been served today, mothers. Maybe it's breakfast or brunch has been given to you. In bed, maybe. Maybe you've gotten some gifts, some cards, some kind words. Maybe a foot washing, I don't know. But this is not specifically for moms certainly not limited to moms, and it's certainly not limited to Mother's Day, and nor is it specifically about foot washing. That's really not the point, although there's nothing wrong with washing feet as an act of service. But the question here that Jesus is driving us to ask is, how can I serve others? Even if it means lowering myself, even if it means doing what's unpleasant, uncomfortable, even if it means doing something that feels like it may be beneath me, because if you have been washed by Christ, there is no act of service that is beneath you. None. We all know that we've been called to serve, but perhaps the biggest obstacle that we hit when we try to walk this out is that we feel so naturally and deeply self-centered. We live self-serving lives so much of the time. Don't you see that in your own relationships? It's a human problem, isn't it? I'll quote Tim Keller again. He wrote in The Meaning of Marriage, quote, the main barrier to the development of a servant heart in marriage is 
What is it? Communication problems? No, he says the radical self-centeredness of the sinful human heart. The biggest obstacle to servant-heartedness in marriage is the sinfulness of, a, of the self-centered human heart. And we probably all see that, don't we? We might try to justify it, but we know it's there. What has this crisis shown us? Someone recently wrote to me, uh, texted a person who works in healthcare, works in the hospital. She says, this whole crisis is confusing. I'm seeing both the generosity and also the selfishness of people in my own department. See, it's not to say that we're always selfish or only selfish, no. We often swing, don't we? And that's what she was describing. Acts of generosity followed by acts of deep selfishness. In fact, it's often when we've been generous that we might sometimes feel newly entitled to then be served. And even our serving often is problematic. Sometimes we do it to be seen. Social media just, just dials this up. It amps it up in us. It encourages us to do things to be seen. Jesus says in Matthew 6, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing when you're acting generously. Social media says, let the whole world know what you're doing. Put it out there. Get some likes and some applause and some follows. We make our service about us. And it comes so natural. Jesus' aim is to break us free from all that, and only he can do it. Only he has the answer. He says, you receive this kind of service from your Lord. Now offer this kind of service to others. And he's telling us we can't just glance over this because he's saying the more your minds are steeped in, the more your minds are rooted in what he has done on the cross to serve us, the more willing we're going to be to go out and serve. And by go out, I don't mean go out to the world, I mean go out of our comfort zone, step out, step down even to serve others. It's no wonder that we live so selfishly if we give little thought and time to meditate or rehearse in our own minds or thank Jesus for what he's done. Get this straight, New Hope, please. We can't mix this up. He's not telling us, if you serve others well, I will love you. Or if you serve others well, I will serve and cleanse you. No, it's the absolute opposite. He's saying, because I have loved you, I've served you, I've cleansed you. Now you're accepted, so go serve. Now that you're cleansed, go serve. And when we really get this, the response will be, if you did it for me, I can serve others. No act of service is below a Christian. That doesn't mean that you should be serving everyone all the time or that every opportunity to serve you need to jump at. No, the fact is that there are some acts of service that maybe are not wise for you right now. Maybe you're overburdened. Maybe you're overstretched. You're serving other people, and so you can't serve everyone. Self-care is not selfish. It's wise. Jesus served, but he also hid himself in solitude and rested. But no act of service is below you. And so during the season of crisis, one question to ask ourselves is, how have you been serving others? 
in your home or outside your home, in the church, outside the church? How have you been serving others? In what ways have you refused to serve others? The opportunity is there, but you're, not, you're, you're unwilling. In what ways have you avoided serving others? Think about it in your own home, even. Fathers, husbands. In what small ways are you setting aside the garments of your own comfort, your own desires, to serve people in your household? Maybe it's through listening. Maybe that's one way we can serve, by listening, by, by making fewer demands and, and offering to help more. Or maybe it's in your workplace or on your street. How are you serving there? Maybe it's by offering to help, to step outside and beyond your own responsibilities in the workplace, for instance, without expecting anything in, in, in return, risking being taken advantage of, risking being thought less of, are we willing to serve in those ways? Someone has said that the, the idea of being a servant sounds great until someone treats you like one. Sounds great to be a servant until someone starts treating you like a servant. And then it's, whoa, whoa, hold on. But of course, if we're going to serve, we should expect to be treated like servants. No one hugs the waiter for bringing food, right? No one sends a thank you card to the waiter. And so we should be, we should be willing to serve without recognition even, without gratitude. And doesn't it get harder to serve when the person you're serving hurts you or even betrays you? Jesus knew about that. He walked in that. How do we deal with this? How do we continue to serve? Jesus knew, and we'll end with this, Jesus knew his identity. Remember, the, the very beginning of this passage tells us Jesus, not only did he know that the hour had come, but he knew who he was. He knew that he had come from the Father and he was returning from the Father. He knew that the Father had given everything into his hands. He knew that he was sent by God and would return to God. He knew he was the Son. And because he knew his identity, because he knew he was Lord, because he knew he was the Son of God, he was able to serve generously, sacrificially, emptying himself. Knowing your identity matters. And so if you and I are able to say, my, my Lord is a servant, and I'm no greater than him. And in fact, more than that, in Christ, I am also a servant. And in Christ, I'm secure. I'm appreciated. I'm his, so it's okay if others look down on me. It's okay if someone takes advantage of me from time to time. It's okay if I, I lower in the esteem of others. It's okay because I know who I am. The Lord has told me who I am. I am his. We read Philippians 2 earlier, and if you know the rest of that passage, you know that it ends by telling us that Jesus didn't always keep the servant clothes on. He didn't always have the towel wrapped around his waist, and he wasn't always kneeling at people's feet. No, it says in verse 9, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess 
that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. The servant is exalted. And he will be worshipped by every, everyone who he ever made. Peter didn't understand what was going on that, that night when Jesus washed his feet. But how about us? How about you? Do you see now? Do you understand? If we see and we understand what Jesus was doing there and why, then let's ask for grace to go out and do the same. Let's do that now. Lord Jesus, we're amazed by your willingness to be made low. We confess that so often, we're so often trying to make ourselves big. We're so often trying to climb, to elevate ourselves, to magnify ourselves. Even when we serve, Lord, we want others to see it and applaud us and thank us. And yet, Lord, you've shown us the opposite here. It's so unnatural to us. Will you give us the grace? Please give us the grace to walk in obedience to the example you've shown us here. You've washed us clean. We know that, Lord. If we, are, if we have believed in you, you've washed us. We stand before you clean and accepted. We ask for your grace to simply walk out what you've called us to here as those who have been washed. In Jesus' name, amen.